Winter was here, but we are just getting started on our Game of Thrones rewatch for season three, episode number four. And now his watch is ended. And now here are the two guys who have been vaccinated for the Parge Plague. I am Rob Sisternino here with Josh Wiggler. Josh, how are you? Psych, Porridge Plague isn't even a thing. You're so gullible. <laughs> Bazinga, you got pastored. You got Porridge Plague. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, wow. What an episode. What a show. What a show indeed. Uh, very, very great episode of Game of Thrones. Season three, just hitting those highs, Rob. Everything that's happened in season three so far, it's just been, I mean, season two, what an aberration, right? Like, I mean, we are we are in prime Game of Thrones mode right now. Yeah, this is some really great stuff. And we finally get the punchline for this long sequence of Danny at the Unsullied Market. She pulls the trigger on it dracaris fire rains down and now danny finally has an army and it's also a night where varus ends up taking center stage a lot of varus and a tug of war over santa stark and a new malolo low for jamie lannister yeah, he's having a hard time. Give the man a hand for uh, some excellent acting, Nikolai Coster-Waldo, as we are seeing Jamie indeed just at the at the at the pit that we have ever seen him. He is just in. I mean, I guess we saw him literally in a pit a couple of times, like with him being trapped in the Stark camp. Uh, but he is just really having a having a tough time without his sword hand. That hand was everything. That was him. Mm-hmm. He was that hand. He was that hand. Uh, not to mention a lot of stuff going on beyond the wall at Craster keep and uh sadly lord commander mormont uh now his watch is ended too yeah oh my god and like killed basically by a rando i mean i guess rast is the guy who who does the job <laughs> He's not Freaking a rando to us not a rando to us rast has been a star of winter was here but carl you know who is carl, carl? Who who is who is Carl just showing up out of nowhere and giving Craster the business? This background Call him a bastard. Player. Yeah, this is like if Nikki and Paolo like came in and like killed Ben Linus in their first episode. Like it's just it's so random. And the strongest man that we had ever encountered in Game of Thrones, Craster, is just killed so easily. So I guess we were wrong about him being the toughest character on the board. Mm-hmm. Josh, do you feel like and now his watch is ended was the right title for this episode? Uh, I feel like it it serves a couple of functions. It certainly fits for Lord Commander Mormont. Um, and then uh, Watto's watch has ended as well. So, you know. <laughs> Yes. Uh, could they have gone with Dracarys? What do you think about that as a title? Would that have yeah, uh, tipped I, I too much? Yeah, I would have enjoyed that. I do think that this is a thing. I think that Game of Thrones, in um, in terms of like the episode titles, that tends to not be great. Uh, like sometimes there's some really excellently named episodes. Um, I think Baylor is a good example of that because that is like describing like the setting for where like this massive event of Ned Stark dying is going to be taking place. Um, but I don't know. I think Dracarys would have been great would it have tipped off what was coming i wonder um probably not i mm-hmm. don't think that like anyone would have really known that danny was planning this uh this bait and switch with the dragon um, maybe you've read the book is this is this faithful to the book adaptation of this yeah this is so great and and that's why season three has been so much fun so far and i even remember it on the first watch uh of just like anticipating some really excellent when your first moments. watch was ended 
yeah, when my first watch ended, I was I was so excited for some of these moments, um, and uh, they just paid off so magnificently. Like Jamie's hand ending the episode, and that was like the kind of thing that you kind of like predicted it out in advance. Like, oh, I bet that's how they're going to end an episode. Like that feels like the ending to an episode of Game of Thrones. And then Danny finally getting her groove back and taking it to the to the masters of Astapor. That felt like an ending as well. And there's certainly a few more still to come. So uh, yeah, it's very faithful to my memory of the uh, the experience of of reading the book. It has been a long time since I've read the books themselves. So in terms of like the the beat by beat details, I don't know. But in terms of the the emotional experience, spot on. All right. Now let's get into everything spoiler free until you hear the buzzer and then a lot of stuff to discuss. So uh, let's uh, fly around like a dragon might. I guess uh, let's start with that Danny storyline. We finally see Danny ultimately get her army as uh, she says she's going to trade one of her dragons, her biggest dragon, Drogon, to Master Krasniz, and then she pulls the old switcheroo yeah and you know don't jorah and barristan feel like total nincompoops for not seeing this coming uh you know danny had this all figured out episodes ago uh she knew exactly what she was gonna do here and uh her her right hand men just had had no idea they didn't give her enough credit as a strategic mind this is a uh a hashtag big move if ever we've seen one on game of thrones right and this is the second time in a row going back to the uh blue raspberry guy where somebody thought that they could somehow take the dragons from daenerys and didn't really think it through it's something that she uh, she has like this refrain in the book. I don't know that it's made it onto the show where she'll all often be like, well, I'm just a, a little girl who knows nothing of these wars and these uh, you know politics and strategy. Like she'll p- present that version of herself to potential adversaries to really get them to lower their guard so that she could just like rip their faces off. Uh, and it's worked really well in the uh, in the House of the Undying with, yes, the blue raspberry monster who really misjudged Daenerys uh, and now here with Krasnys who had just been cursing her out in Valyrian not knowing this entire time Danny speaks Valyrian fluently and that is such a great moment when she starts speaking in Valyrian uh, and she's like yeah Valyrian's my mother tongue I'm a Targaryen what do you think uh, it's just so great like after season two being such a disaster for that storyline I think that these first four episodes have really put Danny back on track and through everything that we've seen of Game of Thrones so far, I think the Dracarys moment is decisively the greatest Daenerys Targaryen moment of the show. Yeah, Master Krasnys, he's uh, putting it all together and he's like, why didn't anyone tell me this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Pork, I'm, I'm going to miss Watto. You know, I thought it was it was great to have this guy who, uh, who you know, Jedi mind tricks don't work on him in, until they do. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. R.I.P. Okay. R.I.P. Krasnys. So Danny has her army and she says to them, hey, look, anybody who wants to leave, you're free to do so. But if you want to fight for me as a free man, then, you know, let's let's do this. And a smart move, I think, on Danny's part, because the, the Unsullied, the, they have nothing. Where are they going? Unsullied. 
Yeah, I think it's a pretty safe bet that they're like, yeah, well, you know, we're born and raised to fight wars and and do stuff like that. So I think that's going to that's going to probably be the the move moving forward is if you're telling us like we can fight for you and we can take naps like that mm-hmm. seems like a done deal. Yeah. The Unsullied aren't like, well, I got some college buddies back in Volantis. Uh, <laughs> right. Kind of wanted to check out what they're doing. Like they have nothing else going on. So why not? Yeah. They never even thought that they would have like a need for ambitions or <laughs> dreams about, about their future. Uh, they thought that their life was pretty locked in. We've got so. nowhere else to go. Because <laughs> I got <laughs> no place else to go. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, it's great. And the Unsullied joining Danny here. We've been waiting a very long time to see like Danny, uh, you know, make strides toward a Westeros, uh, you know, war plan. And like, you know, she's talked about how she is is the rightful queen and the iron throne is her by birthright but how the hell is she going to win that over with just like a few dothraki and admittedly three dragons but three like baby dragons basically now she has thousands of soldiers at her side uh so that's a very dangerous combination just overnight in the blink of an eye daenerys targaryen has become an extraordinary power player on the board okay so we also started this episode with jamie lannister we ended it with him getting the hand cut off this episode starts with the hand dangling around his neck as he's riding along and things just keep getting worse Uh, new injuries added to new insults jamie lannister falls off his horse falls into mud that he wants water they pour it on his head then the the worst of all we see where jamie lannister so thirsty lock hands him a canteen and then reveals I've never seen a man drink horse piss so fast. Oh, my God. Yeah. Jamie Lannister just chug, 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 chugging horse piss like it's no problem at all. Like he's uh, like you said, like college buddies, like he's just at like a frat party. Uh, And then he finds out what it is and he spits it out very quickly. And it's just, I don't know, salt in the wound for for this guy. Yeah, this is the one thing that I remember talking about with you from these podcasts that we did. The very first podcast we ever did about Game of Thrones, we went back and we watched season three to get ready for season four and talking about season three as a whole, not like spoiler free by episode. I do remember having a discussion about who was the guy in Locke's men that was in charge of (laughs) getting the horse urine. Like, how do you do that? Do you just walk around with a uh, with a bucket under the horse? waiting for it to happen oh that's so funny you know you and i have podcasted so much now that it's you know uh it's one of those things where like i for i have forgotten probably 90 percent of what we've talked 90. about along the way a lot man yeah. a lot of what we've talked about like ask me anything from the evolution of strategy it's going to be very hard for me to recall anything uh but when, when you bring something like that up like it's like uh like state dependent memory here we are <laughs> on a game of thrones podcast right now and you bring that up and i remember that clear as day that's so funny yeah (laughs) who is responsible for collecting all the horse piss worst job in any game of thrones department of all time Uh, that's just awful Locke's like, trust me, trust me, this will be great. This will be so funny later. Trust me. Just listen, just, you know, just give me the benefit of the doubt on this, right? Yeah, that's exactly what you said the first time. <laughs> <laughs> that's so great. Oh, my God. I wonder if along the way here, as we start, like, getting into material we've already covered, like, how many of the same jokes are we going to yeah, tell? Yeah, but we're A so lot. much funnier now. 
Yeah. <laughs> Speak for and yourself. we have much better microphones. Better microphones, but I've just gotten dumber. Uh, <laughs> I'm, defi- I'm definitely stupider now than I was in 2014. Yeah. And again, Jamie Lannister tries to fight his way out of it. This time he is going to hold a sword lefty and it's not going well. Nobody believes for a second that Jamie is going to be able to take on any of these guys. Yeah, Jamie Lannister, who used to be the greatest swordsman in uh, the Seven Kingdoms or in the conversation, at least, has lost that hand. And apparently he did not train to be ambidextrous as a swordsman. He is shit with his left hand. Like the Dread Pirate Roberts. Right. I am not left handed. Uh, Yeah, he isn't. He's not left handed. Yeah. Okay. so uh, things are really bad for Jamie here and he doesn't want to go on. We see him later on in the episode. He won't eat. He just wants to die. He's being a real baby as uh, as uh, Brienne points out. Like, wow, you get one Is taste he? of the real world. And you just want to give up. I think he's I being mean, a real baby right Jamie now. Jamie Lannister has been captured for, you know, over a year, tied up. He's been a prisoner of this war. Uh, he got his hand cut off. He's being delivered back to uh, Rob Stark. And th- 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 he can't complain about it. Yeah, come on. This is nothing. It's a scratch. Yeah. Brienne says, yeah, yeah. One taste of the real world where people have things taken from them all the time and you cry and you sound like a woman. Yeah. Yeah. He's just, I don't know. He's, he's having a, he's having a hard day. Maybe give him a little bit of slack, <laughs> like allow him to feel like a little bit in the, you know, down in the dumps. But tomorrow you gotta, you just gotta get back into it. You just gotta, you gotta get back on that horse, Jamie Lannister. Okay, let's go to the stuff north of the wall because the King's Landing stories are uh, very intertwined. And so we see Ed and Gren. There's they're always shoveling these guys. They're like the the head shovelers in the Night's Watch. Yeah. And like what what are they like? Are they shoveling like latrines? Are they just constantly on latrine duty? And if that's the case, what's worse, that job or the guy who got the horse piss for lock? (laughs) Well, they were on latrine duty when they were at the Fist of the First Men. But here, I believe they are shoveling the pig poop. So they're just like great with a shovel. These guys. It's still excrement, Rob. You know, they're still stuck in the shit. Yeah. No matter how you slice it. Yeah. If somebody wants to like prank somebody later on, then uh, Ed and Gren are your guys. And we see Rast complaining about what's going on. You know, a couple times in this episode, Josh, you hear people from the Night's Watch talk about how Craster is drinking their wine. Did the Night's Watch bring a ton of wine with them north of the wall? And was that wine traded for staying at Craster's Keep? Yeah, I think that they traded a lot of... Uh, How much wine a, did they bring? A lot of perishables to Craster the first time that they showed up back in season two. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like they had like jugs of wine that they were like, you know, that they were holding on to at the Fist of the First Men and the White Walkers showed up. They're like, we got to get out of here. We got to go. Wait, 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 wait. All of our Grab wine the wine. There. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I don't think that that happened. Sam, uh, did you bring the wine? Oh, 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 you had one job, <laughs> Tarly. <laughs> what? Yeah. 
All right. So Gilly, we saw the baby born last week and Sam comes in and Gilly is like, oh, you woke him up. You stupid idiot. God. (laughs) She has has no interest in hanging out with Sam right now. Here's your stupid Uh, thimble back. Yeah, take the thimble back. Uh, Chekhov's thimble for sure. Everybody keep an eye on that thimble. Uh, and yeah, she just kind of doesn't want anything to do with Samuel Tarly. She's very focused on her child, who is a son, which means he is on borrowed time, given the way that Craster has treated his uh, his his male sons, his his baby boys uh, in the in the past. Um, good news for that kid is that he's got a fighting chance now that Craster's dead. Yes, yes, but Craster is still alive at that point. And we see one of the men of the Night's Watch has passed away. Bannon, the great Bannon. Who? Bannon. Who is that? (laughs) Sloppy Steve, they called him. Yeah, yeah. Ah, yes, that's his other name. <laughs> yes, yes, Sloppy Steve, R.I.P. Uh, yeah, Lord Commander Bormont doesn't even know who that is, which feels fitting uh, in the in the context of this metaphor. Yes, and so Bannon, they light a pyre for him, and he has starved to death. Now, how long are they at Craster's for? Uh, it feels like they've been there for at least a few days. Now. A few days. Okay. All right. Maybe well, a week. And uh, they are burning Bannon's body. That they're, they're so hungry. Even Bannon smells good, which I can't imagine that that would be the case. And so then you see Craster with Mormont, and you know, he's like he's such a braggart, Craster, and he brags about the like I've got ninety nine sons. Have you ever met a man with ninety nine sons before? Yeah, because it's me. <laughs> I'm the one. I'm the only guy who has that. Uh, yeah, you got so close times. to 100. Uh, you know, yeah. the record for sons is 100. Mama, yeah. did you ever know that? <laughs> Maybe Gilly's baby is the 100th and he just doesn't know yet. That's the 100th son. I don't know. I thought the fact that he was bringing it up uh, was because that a new son had been born. Yeah, either way, that baby being the 99th son or the 100th son, it's the last son. Did you know I've got a lot of daughters, too? <laughs> Ask me how many daughters I have. Did you know that I have sex with them, Walmart? You ever meet a man <laughs> who has sex with all his daughters before? Because I am the one who does all of these things. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like really no wonder that Carl just like puts a knife in the guy's face. Like, shut up. He's always eating in front of these guys. (laughs) Do you ever meet a man who eats so sloppy before? (laughs) Uh, Craster's a real a-hole on his way out the door. Uh, He really has, like, they really go, like, full Craster in his final scene. They really make sure you know just how awful this guy is. And Carl is complaining about the, uh, the food there, and Craster... Craster tells him, go eat the bread we gave you. And Carl says there's sawdust in the bread. Now, is this a lock type trick, Josh? <laughs> is, this, is this Craster? Put the sawdust in the bread. They'll never see that one coming. It's going to be hilarious. They're yes. gonna, oh, we're going to laugh so hard when they're pooping out sawdust. <laughs> like, why was there sawdust in the bread? Was it that the, the, the conditions in the kitchen are so unsavory? Is that an ingredient that the wildlings eat? I think it's like they're making 
bread for the night's watch that's like bullshit bread like it is like sawdust sourdough is what they're coming up with just because like they don't want to waste the good stuff on these guys <laughs> yeah and so craster basically calls them out and mormon's like guys 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 settle down he's in full belding mode like uh let's uh, let's not get crazy here and craster says hey don't call me bastard. That's it. I'll cut your hand off. So much hand cutting off uh, right now I in know. season three. Yeah, it's really a hot topic. And so Carl just he pushes the envelope. Not only does he call him a bastard, he calls him a daughter effing wildling bastard. And that's it. Yeah. Yeah. This guy really makes an impression in his first scene. Carl just like <laughs> shows up and owns the place. Uh, you know, Bern Gorman is the actor who plays this character, which is, first of all, a phenomenal name. Uh, and he's a really good actor. And they've just given him this role where in his first episode, he completely upends the Night's Watch and Craster's Keep. Uh, not a, you know, it's a tall order for for a person to just like take a character who's been in the background theoretically this entire time and really give him fangs in his first appearance. But that's Carl. You'll never forget. Carl. <laughs> You'll never forget him. And so a whole melee breaks out and Rast goes right for Lord Commander Mormon. Feels like that Lord Commander Mormon should have had a better end than at the hands of Rast. Yeah, that's a that's a terror. You know, talk about bullshit bread. That's a bullshit. <laughs> like that's a that's a very, very unfortunate way for uh, J.R. Mormont to to have to die. Uh, this is, you know, such a uh, such a great, great character who's been, uh, you know, part of the show from the very beginning. He was grooming Jon Snow as his steward for so long. Uh, they kind of left on not fantastic terms. So now there's never going to be any kind of reconciliation there. And what's more. Mont is that we know that Lord Commander Mormont is uh, is Jorah Mormont's father, and I think as you're watching the show the first time, like you're expecting, like okay, well these two characters have to get into a scene together at some point eventually. Well, sorry, that's not going to happen. This Did you dead. ever meet a man with one son before that they thought they were going to meet and then they didn't? That's you, Lord Commander <laughs> Mormont. You're such a loser. <laughs> It's yeah. a, it's it's kind of an amazing uh, uh, death for Mormont in the sense that like he gets like stabbed between the shoulder blades right and then he yeah uh, like, it's a badass death he's still like kicking for a little while like he's got like rast on the ropes like right after that where he like pins him to the wall he's like you jerk how could you and then like it feels like there's like a pain delay where he's like yeah actually I think I'm probably just gonna mm-hmm. die now. Yeah, the adrenaline kicks in for a couple seconds after that. Yes, yes. But uh, there's a whole fight that breaks out, Josh. And really, I was struggling with trying to figure out who is fighting who. Is there just a Night's Watch civil war that breaks out immediately and everybody knows which side they're on? Yeah, I think so. Like, you got to wonder, like, was there uh, like what was the what was the chatter? Right. Like, what was the buzz right around these parts? Because <laughs> uh, we don't get like, any of that because even the Avengers, you, you get a, a little bit of who's with Cap, who's with Iron Man. It seems like that the Night's Watch just instantly knew who was on which side in the war. Dude, I can't believe you just spoiled Civil War for people on this podcast. We're in the spoiler-free section. Not everybody knows that Cap and Iron Man were fighting. <laughs> Sorry about that. Anyway, yeah, but it seems like they know. It seems like uh, like the whether it's just like instinct takes over where all of these guys were like, 
The Night's Watch sucks, and this is my shot to get out of it. Yeah, I'll take that. I'm in. Uh, but I think that like we've been in the perspective of characters in The Night's Watch who have been honorable and noble, who have not like necessarily been thrilled with the deal, uh, but they're good people or good-ish people. Like Gren and Ed aren't going to be like mutineers, so we're not getting that conversation. We're not getting that side. That's why it comes out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. So we've seen mostly the people that are the Night's Watch kiss asses hanging out with Mormont, right. but maybe Carl and Rast, they knew who to go for. Maybe this was all like premeditated. Yeah, like we've been following the characters that like bring an apple to Lord Commander Mormont every day before <laughs> class starts. Uh, and like Carl and Rast are like the uh, the like the Scott, the Scud Farkas and whatever the toady <laughs> who like go around and like beat these kids up after school. <laughs> and Sam, he grabs Gilly and they say, hey, let's get out of here. This is our time. And so they run for it. Yeah, hit the road. Uh, and man, uh, luckily for Gilly, like she has such like a high opinion of Sam and thinks that he's like this really brave guy and this cool guy. Like if she knew that she was currently in like the hands of the guy who just got like totally dunked on, not by only like the White Walkers, but the Night's Watch as well, she would probably be a lot more concerned. So, you know, she's got the wool pulled over on her eyes for now, which is probably a good state to be in given the the danger that is uh, that is, you know, coming at them in from all directions, yeah. given the current scenario. And she would have left with literally anybody. Like if Rast came in as like, uh, come on, let's go. Yeah, I think she'd be out of there. At that point, like you just got to go. You just got to go. Like take your chances on the road with whoever. Okay, so uh, they are off on the road. Uh, We will follow up with them at some later date. And then anything else besides uh, the King's Landing stuff? We see, you know, Bran uh, very quickly, briefly in a dream. Uh, He sees his mom and uh, she's telling him, uh, you know, no climbing. Promise me, promise me, promise me no climbing. Yeah, uh, we also see uh, the the rope dope that oh, somebody Theon. has been pulling on poor Theon. <laughs> uh, you know, he's uh, he's been he's been thinking that like, oh God, I'm I'm being freed by this incredibly nice janitor. He's got a you know that janitor has a hell of an eye. Like he's just a great marksman. If you I'm thought really that that horse pee that. prank was something, wait till you see this. Yeah, so this guy uh, is uh, is a real is a real a real bastard. This guy who's <laughs> been uh, who's been pretending to help Theon out, but it's just been a long con. Yeah, it's been it's tough. So Theon is back where he started the season, and you can imagine that that's not a great place for this guy to be. Yeah, Theon. Did nothing look familiar to Theon? <laughs> I don't know. He's like he's I don't know. He he's not the type that uh that stops and smells the roses and really appreciates the scenery of of where he is. Because he uh, left the place. Yeah. He didn't have like a bag over his head when he left. Right. Right, right, right. Uh I think you know that's classic Theon, right? Like just like overconfident, very cocky, very arrogant, uh thinks things are going to break his way, makes bad decisions, uh and just doesn't really fully think through any scenario that he is in. And so it doesn't surprise me that he's in this scenario and has no idea what's coming his way. Like I just don't understand how he thinks he's at Deepwood Mott and is really <laughs> back at the uh Bolton stronghold. Right, right. So 
that sucks. You know, <laughs> his sense of direction leaves something to be desired. Okay, what are you going to do? All right, but so much going on in King's Landing, and uh, just about all of it is uh, really amazing. We get the Varys origin story here with Tyrion, and he goes through the whole story of how he was cut. He's been teasing about this, and then at the same time, he's opening up this big shipping crate, and inside is the wizard who ended up uh, mutilating Varys. Yeah, and so the lesson here is don't fuck with Varys. Yeah, (laughs) that's a good one. (laughs) Because he will get his revenge, even if it takes him decades to get it, and he will throw you in a box and do who knows what to you. So please never cross this guy if you value your life. Yes. So where did he order the wizard from? Is that like some sort of mail order catalog where you can have your enemies delivered to you? I think it's Westeros Prime. Is, uh, <laughs> he's a subscriber. So he got he got this guy shipped to him in two days flat. It was really nice. OK, so Varys goes from that conversation with Tyrion to going to speak to Roz. And Roz has some updates about Littlefinger. And she is basically trying to give Varys a heads up that in the shipping manifest before the Littlefinger ships off to the Eyrie that he has two feather beds in his boat and there's only one person that maybe Littlefinger might care enough about to get a feather bed for. Yeah. Uh, man, Littlefinger just sleeping in comfort. Like everywhere he goes, he's like, ah, I've got a bad back. I need to sleep on my feather bed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm surprised that he's just sleeping on feather beds on a boat. But anyway, uh, we also get uh, not to yada yada past it or yara yara past it. We talked a bit about like, you know, was, was Patrick really that great? And we were about to take that away from him. But here is Roz, who is uh, signing all all aboard for the, the legend of Patrick Payne. Uh, says he was the most extraordinary man that these uh, that these women had ever had. And Varys has the great line of prodigies appear in the strangest of places. Yes, yes. And he repeats that about uh, Roz as well. Now, in terms of Podrick, uh, that there is a question, uh, was he of an abnormal size? No, that gets shot down. And uh, Roz can't even say exactly what it was. She says it was hard to explain. Uh, <laughs> he just suddenly did the Miranese not himself. And did the Miranese just- not? Yeah. Yes. Um, you know, there are some some working theories, but yeah, it seems as though that young Podrick was a uh, was a standout. Just instinct, I guess. Instinct, you know? I guess. Yes. Uh, perhaps uh, fluent in uh, the Lord's kiss as yes. uh, as Egret as will talk about later on this season. Yes, that's right. Spoiler. <laughs> sorry, sorry about that. <laughs> if we're going to get spoiled on anything, I think that's okay. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, that's pretty okay. tame. Yes, yes. Okay. Um, we see inside the uh, Sept of Baylor. Is this the first time that we are inside here, Josh? Uh, no, I feel like we've been here before. I mean, I know that we've been here before on the show in the future, but is it future? Is it past? It's all blending together for me right now. I feel like we've been here. Before. Okay. All right. So inside of the big sept and we are seeing a, like a tour going on there between Joffrey and Marjorie and Marjorie is pretending to be very interested in everything that Joffrey is showing her. 
Marjorie is playing Joffrey like a fiddle in the most incredible way where she is just like fully aboard with like his sadism and really just kind of like feeding into that where she's like, oh, wait, are there like bodies here? Can we look at the bodies? Like there's got to be like really gross stuff in the crypts, right? And he's like, yes. Oh, my God. Yes, you are the coolest. I will totally show you all of the decrepit bodies and the decaying ashes and all of this nasty stuff. And she's just like she knows that that's what he likes. So she's just leaning into it. It's very, very shrewd stuff. I love Marjorie. She's such a great character. And at the same time, she's like, hey, let's go see the people outside. What? And yeah, let's go. Let's go say hi. Let's say hi to them. And then, uh, you know, if you love them, they'll return it a thousandfold. And then that he goes out and he waves. And then it's all of a sudden they're like uh, the Joffrey Rotsy. Yeah, the the Joffrey Rotsy. The Papa Joffrey's. (laughs) That's a pizza place. (laughs) Yes. Better ingredients, better pizza, Papa Joffs. (laughs) (laughs) There's no sawdust in it. (laughs) Is he? He sounds like he's uh, he's complaining. Does he like sawdust? (laughs) Yes. My favorite topping. (laughs) (laughs) Sawdust pizza. We finally found one that I won't eat. <laughs> and meanwhile, we see Cersei and Lady Elena walking around and uh, having an interesting conversation, talking about how you know the issues of being powerful women, yeah, in a world where powerful yeah. men are running everything. Great episode for Lady Elena in terms of self awareness too, because like they're you know they're both commiserating over this idea uh, of like these two very clearly powerful women talking about what the like the gender dynamics are like in Westeros and really what you know they're often like in reality as well. Um, what I what I loved uh, from her, I loved the scene where she's talking about like oh, I wish that we weren't like roses at House Tyrell like. Mm-hmm we really picked the wrong mascot. Like we really could have come up with better words like, Oh no, fear the flowers. Like that's not really something that's going to get anybody spooked. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, growing stronger. And uh, like, she's right. like mocking. It's like, uh, okay, go, go grow strong uh, somewhere else. Yes. Yeah. I like that. I thought that was great. <laughs> so then meanwhile, we see Cersei with Tywin and uh, he is again, he's writing his letters and doing all his paperwork as Tywin yes. Lannister likes to do. Loves and paperwork. Cersei says to him, hey, you know, father, you know, I can contribute to, you know, I have a lot to add to the Lannister dynasty. The, to the dynasty, indeed. Uh, and Tywin's kind of like, no, you don't. Mm-hmm. No, you don't. You really don't. You think you do, but you actually don't. You think you're a lot smarter than you actually are. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, and, you know, she seems pretty wounded by that because she feels like she's yeah. coming in with, a, with like a really good take of like, you know, the Tyrells are dangerous. They've got their hooks into Joffrey. This is not going to be great. Tywin's like, they just helped us out in such a big way at Blackwater. You have no idea what you're talking about. And even if, uh, you know, they're talking some sense into Joffrey, like that's a good thing. So just, you know, go about your business and let me handle stuff. Um, meanwhile, it feels like what Cersei is assessing about Marjorie is like spot on. So, you know, mm-hmm. points for the powers of observation on her part. Yeah. I do think that to some degree, Tywin is like, okay, so what? I mean, that, okay, she's got her hooks into Joffrey. Who cares? Yeah, exactly. Um, 
Yeah. Like that, that could be a good thing because Joffrey sucks. <laughs> so like if some of that, like, uh, you know, some of that, like King is terrible. Sh- Who yeah. cares? Yeah. So like, it would be great if like anything we can do to make him a little bit more bearable, uh, like I am on board with. Okay. Varys is going to have a chance to talk with Lady Olena. And we have this tug of war about Sansa, about where is she going? And in this conversation with Lady Olena, he sort of lays out the fact that Littlefinger, he has his hooks into Sansa because he is going to look at her as the key to the north because he's a man who was born with no lands, no wealth, no army. He's already got two out of those three. That's not bad. And now he is trying to get his hands on the third via Sansa. Once Rob Stark falls, then they feel like that if that should happen, then he can move in and get take Sansa to the north and then control whatever Stark forces there are. Yeah, Littlefinger, according to them, is one of the most dangerous people in all of Westeros because he would see this country burn if he could become the king of the ashes. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not like good. a very deadly guy. Yeah, that's a de- that's a dangerous person. That's uh, that's Joker esque, right? Like that's uh, not not fantastic. That sounds like a very chaotic person indeed. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we see Marjorie at the same time working on Sansa. And not only was she charming Joffrey, but then she goes and charms Sansa, and she says, "Hey, we could be sisters." Yeah, uh, she's talking about like, yeah, we could be sisters. Would you like that? And like for the first time in a long time, it seems like Sansa has some hope for the future. She loves Loras Tyrell, doesn't seem to know that Loras Tyrell probably would never love her back. Uh, but I think that she she's intrigued by the idea of like hanging out with the Tyrells for for all time moving forward. She seems like she really hit it off with not just Marjorie, but the Queen of Thorns as well. OK, so really Sansa is in an interesting spot and she says oh i'd like to go to high garden but the queen won't let me and marjorie very cutting says oh you mean the queen regent mm, yeah she's like don't you know, like i'm i'm the queen yeah like, let's uh, don't give her too much credit right and then also the other thing that we did not touch on was everything that was going on with the brotherhood without banners and then they bring their prisoners Arya and Gendry and the Hound back to their secret lair and we meet Beric Dondarrion who was a stark deserter but now is running the Brotherhood Without Banners. He looks different. Mm. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. The eye patch. Yeah, well, so if you remember, we've actually have met Barrett yes. Dondarrion before to the people who do not recall this, uh, but he was played by like a totally different actor and he was seen for like five seconds in one of the final episodes of season one. Uh, and now he's here like he was being sent off to go and fight uh, Gregor Clegane. That was his orders from Ned Stark. Uh, and now since then, since Ned's death, the uh, the people who were under Barrack's leadership are now the Brotherhood without banners. They were referenced in season two. And Barrack is the guy in charge. And somewhere between then and now, he a became an entirely different different human being with a different actor playing the character and something seems to have happened to his eyeball which is uh, triggering for me as somebody with an eye phobia <laughs> right and the hound points out that ned stark is dead king robert is dead you're fighting ghosts you're fighting for ghosts this is ghost yeah. 
Yeah, this is <laughs> this is the ghost. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And he's talking about how, like, don't judge me because the mountain's a jerk. You don't know anything about me. I haven't murdered anybody. And Arya's like, yeah, you kind of murdered that kid. Micah. In the s- second episode of the series. And Hound's like, I was kind of hoping you'd forget about that. Uh, but, yeah, I guess that's a good point. But he says it's not his place to question princes. That's his that's his argument. Um, I think this is a, a very, uh, very compelling conversation within, like, the, the greater thematic structure of Game of Thrones of, uh, you know, this is a show where the line between good and evil can get kind of muddied, where we're embedded in the Lannister storyline so often in these these people seem to be absolutely terrible, but then sometimes like Tyrion is fantastic, and even Cersei has some moments where she is likable. Uh, a few, uh, and so it's just like, I think like for the Hound to be like, I'm not as awful as you think I am, and you guys are actually secretly kind of awful yourselves. Uh, it's just, it's just, it's it's fascinating stuff, and I think that's uh, one of the things this show does really well is play around with those different shades of morality. Yeah, and so the Hound is going to stand trial for. For the murder of Micah the Butcher Boy, hashtag justice for Micah, yes. and w- <laughs> that it's going to be a trial by combat and he will fight Barak Dondarrion. Yeah, so uh, not a spoiler to say, uh, stay tuned for that. Should be a very exciting scene whenever that comes to pass. Finally, justice for Micah the Butcher Boy. I know. Not, not since uh, Justice for Barb has justice <laughs> been so desired and it is about to be, potentially it is about to be meted out. Okay, Josh, anything else from this episode that you want to talk about before we get into spoilers? No, I want to get into the spoilers so bad. I want to talk about all the spoilers right now. All right, here we go. Spoilers are coming. Okay, just for good measure. There you go. All right. Yeah. I'm excited. You're giving me the man with 99 <laughs> spoilers. <laughs> Craster, Craster, I hope you stick around. I love, I love, uh, I'm, I'm sad that you're just getting your, your amazing Craster impression <laughs> out of your system on his death episode. <laughs> it's, you know, problematic because, you know, you need like a certain amount of time to, uh, you know, let it gel and then, uh, yeah. now he's gone. Yeah. And that was watching yeah, this. The life expectancy on Game of Thrones doesn't lend Second time around, we'll nail Craster from the beginning. Yeah, we'll really have to make sure that when we get to season four to come up with like a really great Red Viper impression right away, since we'll only have like 10 episodes. Mm-hmm. Not even, I think like nine episodes. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'll watch it twice just to be ready for the first time through. Josh. Eight episodes to be. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you want to start? Huh, where do I want to start? I mean, okay, so Beric Dondarrion and the Hound are about to have a big fight. We're gonna uh, we're gonna see in a, a very. I think it's the next episode. I don't have it in front of me in terms of what the episode order is, uh, but the the episode uh, where they're going to have their trial by combat, and the Hound is going to defeat Beric, and Beric is going to be killed, but he's going to be resurrected. So that's going to be incredibly cool. And I think it's 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 fun to see the Hound in the context of the Brotherhood without banners, knowing that he's going to join these people someday. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, this is not something that we were really watching for the first time we were watching through this stuff, but these people are going to end up being some of the most important people in his future. Uh, so it's, it's cool how he's talking about how like, uh, you know, don't, don't judge me for, you know, the actions of somebody else. Like that really does feel like the hounds story arc encapsulated in a nutshell. Like I think that his whole deal is like, he is a 
guy who has done terrible, terrible things, but does that make him an outright terrible person or is there some ability for redemption there? Yeah, uh, interesting. In terms of the Brotherhood Without Banners also, that we know we have Thoros of Mir. Varys mentioned that he came from the streets of Mir. Do you think, is it possible, do they know each other? We'll never find out. Ah. Because Thoros is dead. The only person who died on that mission beyond the wall, which is still some so red shirts. To me. Some yeah. red shirts as well. That doesn't count. Doesn't yeah. count. I guess the dragon died. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Spoiler. Spoiler. Sorry. Spoiler. Where is firmly in the spoiler section? Yes. Uh, anything else from the Brotherhood Without Banners? No, not really. Um, but if you want to stick like kind of regionally close, um, I thought that the the first scene of the episode with Jamie Lannister uh, and him like trying to fight left handed after having just had his hand cut off really nicely aligns with the Jamie Lannister we're going to see in the best episode of season seven when he just like charges head first at a dragon, just like really headstrongly willing to do like objectively stupid things, uh, like objectively dangerous things. I thought that that was kind of great. Yeah. And Jamie Lannister, really, I, I feel like that that scene with Brienne like uh, kind of captures the whole like uh, essence of Game of Thrones about how when Brienne says to him about one taste of the real world where people have things taken from them all the time and whine and you cry and you sound like a woman where the, the whole series and books are about people having things taken from them that are precious. Yeah, that's definitely uh, a huge theme of the story of George R. R. Martin really seems to delight in like taking the thing that is most important to these characters and removing it from them and then seeing what they what they are without that thing. Like the first and best uh, early example of that is Bran Stark, like in that whole chapter uh, where he gets pushed out of the window and he's climbing the towers of Winterfell. You're embedded in Bran's perspective and he's just like, oh, man, climbing's the best. I love nothing more than climbing. Climbing is literally the greatest thing that I've ever done and ever will do. And then he is crippled. It's okay. (laughs) You know, right. Climbing is just all right. Uh, So that happens. And like now you see who does Bran Stark become without that thing that he loves. And now we're getting um, the next really great example of that being Jamie Lannister losing his sword hand. And who are you if you're not the greatest swordsman in Westeros anymore? Um, So season three, the way that they handled the Jamie Lannister's storyline um it's it's really really wonderful and i'm i'm trying to really enjoy it in the moment because following this like they've they've done really poorly by jamie lannister on the show i think uh but they did they did right by him in this season and i think from you know the next season onward i think it's going to be pretty wobbly for that character you mentioned bran and what he is now in his dream he is climbing and we see Cat Stark in his dream and uh, the only appearance of Cat Stark in this episode. And then she's saying to Bran uh, numerous times, promise me, promise me, promise me no climbing. Now, that turn of phrase, promise me, is something that I believe we will end up hearing when we see Bran witnessing the birth of Jon Snow. Ooh, yeah. Do you feel, is that all tied in together or is that a coincidence? Oh, my Promise God. Promise me, well, Ned. Uh, a wise man once said, do not mistake coincidence for fate. Um, 
but I'm, I like that. I think that that would be, if that was like intentional, deliberate foreshadowing, knowing that Bran was going to be our eyes and ears into the birth of Jon Snow, uh, that would be, that would be a really clever way to early, uh, to, to plant the seeds for that early. So I'm just going to give the writers the benefit of the doubt and say, yes, they knew exactly what they were doing the whole time. <laughs> wow. Good on them. <laughs> That's a good job. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's go to Daenerys out at the uh, Dragon Flea Market. And I do think that season three is going to end up being uh, Daenerys's best season because I think that her victories here are sort of very clear, where I think that her victories in the future are somewhat bittersweet, where, you know, there's this point right here. I think she will rise to her highest high at the end of this season with the uh, Misa moment. Yeah, and the crowd surfing. That, and then everything after that is a little bit like, yes, okay, she's doing good by some people, but then uh, every like she has like a 100% approval rating by the end of season three. Yeah, I mean, she ha- she'll have some moments in the future where she will get uh, two thumbs up again. Like, I think um, the when she when she kills all of like the the bro Throcky, uh in season six, when she just like uh, you know sets the place on fire and walks out and then completely conquers all of the Dothraki who are so psyched to be under her employ. That's a great moment in the future. But I think that season three, that's a good point. That when she is victorious this season. The audience is, I think, close to unilaterally on her side. Like it, it, it does. There are not a lot of shades of gray in those victories. Like she is just kind of uh, wrecking people, and we're loving it, right? And even in the future, though, with like killing all of the Dothraki, that there are some things that she does that are going to be morally ambiguous. Whereas she's, you know, really has the high ground here against uh, Master Watto. And then in terms of by the end of the season, where she's freeing all of, you know, all of the slaves from the masters, you know, everybody's on her side. It's just that things are going to be more complicated for her after this point. Yeah, uh, no, I think that that's a great point. Uh, nothing further, Your Honor. I think that that's good. Okay. Uh, what about in King's Landing in terms of Varys uh, with Tyrion and his conversations about how he hates magic? He's at this uh, very interesting point in the series in between where we are in the real time of all this, where we are waiting to see how this all plays out, where now Varys finds himself on the side of dragons and perhaps magic. This right. This is a interesting setup here. Yeah, and I think also um, this is nice to go back to given one of the most recent images of Varys on this show, which was that conversation with Melisandre where she says to him, um, you know, you're you're going to die in this strange land just like me. And like she kind of recites back a lot of uh, a lot of like his darkest secrets. Uh, and there's another moment, too. I think it's in season six where uh, where one of the, the other red priestesses shows up and kind of gives Varys a little bit of a schooling on magic as well so to have like that origin story laid out here where he says like i heard a voice answer the call in the in the fire uh you know it really does sort of contextualize where Varys is coming from why he hates this stuff so much and i think again like game of thrones has this um great sense of dramatic irony that i i feel pretty confident that however uh things shake out for Varys, i do think that he is very likely one of the characters will lose in the final season 
And I expect that it will be um, some sort of magically powered ending uh, for that character. I think, uh, you know, uh, George R. R. Martin and, and Benioff and Weiss, they love to to throw people out of the show with, uh, you know, some sort of in, through some sort of means that are like deeply unpleasant uh, from like a, a very early rooted age for so many of these characters. And I think that uh, this is just further bolstering that idea, I think, for Varys. Boy, that would be a real bummer to lose Varys. Yeah, but I think um, what I'm what I'm what I'm feeling is like, you know, basically the entire original small council is dead uh, on the show. Like Pycelle is gone. Littlefinger is gone. Renly is gone. And Varys is like the only one still standing. And I think that however Westeros looks moving forward, whether there's even an Iron Throne to sit on at the end of this show or, uh, you know, there isn't. And there's just no matter how it's going to go, like you've got to imagine that like society is going to need some restructuring by the end of Game of Thrones. And I think one of the shortcut ways to to represent that, um, not something that's going to be like just like, you know, very obvious in terms of the like exposition or anything like that but i think when you go back and you think about that like oh the entire old guard of the people who were running westeros at the start of the show are now gone uh i think you would have to group varus in with that so i feel like uh i feel like we're looking at a future where varus is no longer present at some point in game of thrones you feel like that he's a symbolic figure of the westerosi bureaucracy and his passing could signal that there is hope for something different in westeros Right. I think that, that that's kind of the idea. Uh, I, I think that his his departure uh, would would signal like the end of those original big movers and shakers uh, and give you this idea that. All right. Well, what does the future look like? And uh, your interpretation of that could could uh, vary or varies uh, depending on what you think is going to happen after the show. Mm-hmm. So. In terms of Varys talking with Lady Olena, that it does seem as though that there are more pieces of that purple wedding that are put into play. But at the same time, Josh, doesn't Littlefinger play a part in this as well? So Varys comes in, he's throwing Littlefinger under the bus, but eventually Littlefinger and Lady Olena are going to be on the same page. So what happened there? So, you know, Varys describes Littlefinger as one of the most dangerous people in Westeros, which is, uh, again, so annoying and frustrating because it really doesn't bear out that way for Littlefinger in the long run, I think. Um, but I think if, if that if we're accepting that as truth right now and if we're accepting that Varys and Littlefinger are always uh, at odds and kind of equally powerful in terms of like the, you know, the rally that they're in, this like strategic rally, uh, I think that you could you could imagine that Varys having this conversation with the Queen of Thorns, um, it's taking place without Varys realizing that maybe Littlefinger has either gotten to her already or that he's actually hyping Littlefinger in a way that the Queen of Thorns might be like, oh, actually, I think I could work with that guy right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because Sansa is really she has three suitors in Tyrion, who Tywin is going to ultimately saddle her with. Then you have the Tyrells who are trying to get her with Loras and Littlefinger who's trying to get her for himself. But is it at the point where Tywin arranges the marriage between Tyrion and Sansa that that's when Lady Olenna comes back in and then says, look, hey, you want to get out of here with Sansa Stark? Here's what I'm thinking. Mm, Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think that that could be that could be the move. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Cause we're, we're never really um, to my memory. Like we don't really see like a ton of that stuff cause they don't want to tip off the, uh, the purple, the purple wedding. Yeah. We also see lady Elena with Cersei, which is an interesting pairing because we see in these most recent season that we just watched that Cersei is going to order the death of lady Elena and Jamie is going to hand her off that poison. But it looks like here, this is like as good as it's going to get between them. It's also kind of uh, amazing to see this scene where Marjorie is like being so morbid about everything that's happening here in the Sept of Baylor. And this will be her final resting spot. Uh, she will be blown to smithereens by the wildfire explosion in this very chamber. So uh, mm-hmm. that, that was that was uh, that was cool to see to, to go back and watch this episode. And be like, ah, get out of there. <laughs> yeah. Get out of there fast now. Not good. Uh, well, triggering. also. I mean, that that location in particular, that's also going to be where Joffrey will lay after the yes. Purple Wedding. And that will be when there is that scene between Cersei and Jaime uh, in, in the same room. Yeah. Let's not talk about that yet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to think about that. One like, it's an amazing location. Yeah, it really is. And uh, uh, one of one of many locations in Game of Thrones that does not make it all the way to the end of the series. And I'm sure that we will only continue to lose iconic locations as we push closer to the end of the show. Okay. Anything with Theon and uh, Ramsey Snow? Anything with Theon? No, I mean, it's just still just so awful. Uh, You know, there you know, there's not much, I think, to to talk about here, I, I guess, like. Ramsey wanted to, you know, Ramsey benefits from hearing that the boys aren't dead. That uh, was that Bran premeditated. And, was that the whole reason for this exercise? Yeah, I wonder if that's part of it. But that feels too calculated to me. Like I think the thing that he likes about Theon is that he could just torture this guy. Uh, but maybe, maybe you know, he's he's shrewder than I'm giving him credit for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I did, I did like. Um, you know, Theon, before he gets uh, before he gets pastored here, uh, before he gets brought back into the into the jail cell uh, or the torture room, rather, he talks about how he shouldn't have done what he did. Like he shouldn't have turned against the Starks. He said, my real father lost his head at King's Landing. I made a choice and I chose wrong. Um, and I think to have that expressed uh, by Theon at this early point in the show really connects very nicely with what we saw of him last in season seven, where he has that scene with John about how you can be a Greyjoy and you can be a Stark. Uh, I thought, I thought that that was a, that was a really nice sort of, uh, uh, obviously not intentional, but a a good tip in the cap of the direction of a, a great emotional moment for Theon in the future. And then one other thing that I have is the scene with Cersei and Tywin and Cersei says, Hey, what about me? Shouldn't I be part of the family business? And Tywin, you know, very bluntly tells her, it's not the fact that you're a woman. That's the problem. The problem is that you are not as smart as you think you are. We've heard Tyrion also say this to Cersei. Were the Lannister men, were were her, her father and her brother sleeping on Cersei? And is she maybe as smart as she thinks she is? Yeah, I think that, and it's not just the Lannisters who've been uh, who've been sleeping on Cersei and her um, her intelligence. I think the uh, you know we're guilty of this. The viewers are guilty of this. I think you know as we were tracking her along the way in real time through uh, the first few seasons of the show, you're kind of you're. I don't know. I think that you're inclined to look at 
the show through like Tyrion's lens and kind of accept his viewpoint as truth because he's an easy character to root for. He's funny. He's witty. He's smart. He's likable. And he tends to be uh, erring on the side of the morally right. Um, and so if he's saying that that Cersei is is dumber than she realizes, you're going to side with that. But I think, you know, Cersei being somebody who it's it's hard to, to root for her because she can be so cruel um, and she's you know responsible for so much death and so much so many barbaric acts um it's harder to to like buy her at her word and that's bad on us because we're proven wrong you know not only does she pull off the greatest uh and i don't mean great like oh neat sweet that's cool like the like the biggest uh mass murder in uh in the entire show that we have seen so far with the destruction of the sept of baylor but she has had a few other moments since then some strategic victories over Tyrion in season seven you know it's hard to think of like what did Tyrion get over on cersei since they've been in open war with each other pretty much nothing um so yeah i think that we have been sleeping on Cersei. I think Cersei is a lot smarter than she thinks she is. I also think that she has tunnel vision that will get her killed. Uh, you know, I think that she is so dedicated to, you know, protecting the plate and protecting what is hers, which is namely just herself at this point mm-hmm. uh, through seven seasons of Game of Thrones. So I think eventually that um, that very dedicated viewpoint is going to be her undoing. But I think in terms of like, um, you know, it's that great line from the Queen of Thorns again, right, where she talks about uh, I underestimated your capacity for cruelty, like match that with somebody who is very, very smart as well. And you're dealing with one of the most dangerous people we've ever seen in Game of Thrones. And I think Cersei definitely fits that bill. And just to bring this full Cersei in terms of (laughs) what we're talking about thematically, about the idea of. People who have the things that are most dear to them taken away from them. It's possible that maybe we were not sleeping on Cersei's intelligence and that it was her love for her children, which Tyrion would call her only redeeming quality, which was inhibiting her judgment on certain things and making her that was her weakness of hers that she, you know, she loved her kids too much and is doing what she can to protect them. But at the point where we are now, where she's lost all of her kids, that she doesn't have that, you know, that hole in her judgment anymore. And now she can be just you know downright smart and despicable at the same time yeah it's kind of like i mean it's not like a perfect metaphor because like she had to lose so much to to get there but it's almost like she's playing with house money now where it's kind of like you know she's lost everything that matters so like come at me like what can i lose now my life oh well i'll go you know to to the you know the great after you know to the northlands the nightlands <laughs> and <laughs> to the nightlands and hang out with my kids like you know she's 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 so dangerous cuz she has nothing to lose and that gives her more of an ability to just like do whatever she wants very dangerous very dangerous person okay josh did you have anything else from this episode i had in here varus showing Tyrion uh his captor is like the game of thrones equivalent of somebody on survivor having an immunity <laughs> idol and showing that to somebody <laughs> to like build trust uh whatever happened yeah. to this guy did i mean did varus kill him yeah i don't know is he <laughs> still know. in the box did varus yes. go off for uh the east and then just leave that guy the the final episode of Game of Thrones, everybody is going to die. Everything has been laid waste in Westeros. And then there's going to be a post credit scene where this guy 
comes out of the box and it's like that episode of the twilight zone where the guy is uh the only person left in the apocalypse and he has nothing but time on his hands to read i don't know what the version of this guy brick his glasses would be yeah uh, is that the box that varus will use to ship teary into the east Oh, gross. I hope not. Varus doesn't look like he's like a one box kind of guy. I feel like Varus has access to multiple boxes. <laughs> okay. Oh, there you go. All right. So, Josh, uh, what an episode of Game of Thrones. Great episode of Game of Thrones. I've been slacking on uh, ranking these. Uh, I'll try to get back on that. But it's hard because season three is so lit. <laughs> you know, like I think everything yeah, I think everything we've seen, at least in like the, uh, uh, you know, episode one is really good. Episode two is really good. Uh, three and four of this season are excellent. And I think uh, they are pretty easily uh, top 10 episodes of Game of Thrones so far. Okay. Next time, Kissed by Fire. We're going to check back in with Jon Snow north of the wall. Yes, uh, for for the Lord's kiss, as you said before. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, And this will be where I believe the Hound and Beric will fight. Um, This is an episode that is uh, looked back upon very fondly by a lot of people. I think a lot of people look at this episode as... um, stealthily one of the best episodes of game of thrones so uh lots of hype behind that uh and with that hype being said it's gonna be like two weeks until we talk about it because we're gonna have to take another quick hiatus on the game of thrones podcast so uh sorry yeah look we're, we're look we're not gonna race to the we're end still, and then have nothing yeah, to do still, we're still gonna pace yourself we're still going to be way out in front of uh, uh, season eight's premiere when we're when we're done with the rewatch. So I don't know what we're going to do when we get there. We'll have to figure something out. OK. All right. So go ahead. Follow Josh Wiggler on Twitter. He is at Round Howard. He's got all of the latest Game of Thrones breaking news there as well for THR. Plus, uh, be sure to check out our coverage of The Walking Dead coming up as well here on post show recaps. And with that, have a good one everybody take care bye bye